0: Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, my guest today is Lena Nair, the Chief Human Resources Officer for the global giant Unilever. Her work sits at the heart of a team of more than 150,000 people, serving two and a half billion customers. And it's perhaps just one of the reasons why she speaks of a personal purpose to ignite the human spark for a better business and better world. An igniting spark is something she knows a good deal about. She's been described as a leader of many firsts, not least since she was appointed the first female, first Asian and youngest ever Chief Human Resources Officer at Unilever. Of this experience, she says, in every job I've done, I've been the first woman ever to do the job, be in the night shifts or the production work. You've got to be courageous, not only embrace the trailblazing, but also bring your own take on it. Lena, a true trailblazer, and welcome to your first, um, Changemakers. It's good to add to that that list of first. Great pleasure to have you on the show. Delighted to be here, Michael. Now, I, I did check. I was thinking... Maybe we can go and have a look at, at Lena's degree an engineering degree and see she didn't get a first in that, but of course she did. you did get a first in that. so it's <laughs> let's talk about that that I guess that first class story. ignite the human spark for a better business and better world. Bring that to life for us. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, uh, you know I grew up in a very small town. I fought to do engineering. You know, there were so many norms about what girls should do or not do, which is, you know, part of my growing up story. And I went into engineering as electronics and telecommunications engineer, worked as an engineer. I'm, I was a lousy engineer, I must say that. <laughs> and so much of what gave me joy in the day was being with people, around people, understanding what drove people. And slowly, but surely, I started drifting towards more management and within management, learning more about how people reacted to things. Mm. So for me, I get immense joy when I see people who had no joy in their eyes at the work they were doing, suddenly sparked, and you see a transformation, they're driving change, they're excited, they're influencing things, they're the top of their game. And you see that transformation when something lights them up. So, you know, it could be a purpose. It could be something they passionately care about. And then you see how what a difference they make. Business has to be a force for good. That's why mm. from the sentence, better business and better world goes together.
0: Mm. I mean, do, do you think with that engineering background, it, it gave you a sense of, of process in terms of a real sense of actually how X plus Y might equal Z? Uh, You know, Michael, I always tell
1: my team today more as a joke that I'm the best combination of head and heart because Mm. my engineering taught me all the problem solving, analytical skills made me highly numerate. I love my maths, I love my numbers, I love my data and my management studies and my focus on HR the last many years has given me compassion, empathy, understanding people. So I say that 25 years into my career, I finally got relevant. (laughs) That would always say, "Why does an engineer need to do HR?" And now I can say, "You know what? I'm relevant because I get data and I get people, and therefore I'm the best combination of head and heart."
0: Well, actually, we might go back into those early days in a moment. But on your on your LinkedIn profile, I noticed that you, it says Unilever CHRO, Catalyst for Change, Proud Mother, as the kind of, I guess, I guess that kind of the, those three columns of of your of your life. Is there a balance there? Is there is is that the beginnings of an equation in terms of how to, to get things right? <laughs> you know, I
1: wish I could say I, I was I am the perfect mother, the perfect wife, the perfect everything. <laughs> but remember, I didn't say perfect, I just said proud. <laughs> <laughs> so I try is the better better version of that. I tried really hard to balance all the different roles and different hats in my life. I succeed some days and I don't succeed another. But, you know, what What the heck? We're going to keep trying.
0: Let's get in a time machine. Let's go back to 1992. We're in Hindustan. Um, we're, we're going to meet um, a young graduate who is going to take their first days at Unilever. T- tell us what it was like. Michael, so many stories. I did sales in
1: Delhi, Haryana, selling tea, which has led to my lifelong love of <laughs> sipping endless cups of tea. Um, I did uh, night shifts, production, employee relations. I tackled one of the toughest unions in Western Maharashtra at that time. You know, he was a person called Data Samanth who would make people quake in their, uh, you know, boots or what it is. So what I remember is so many norms and assumptions. Like the first time I wanted to go and work in a night shift, people said, no, it's not safe. Women don't go in the night shift. You can't do this. And it always started with me you know, challenging that and saying, no, but I'd like to do it. How will I have a sense of what it means to work on the night shift? How can I work with the union or discuss negotiations with them if I've never experienced what life in the night shift looks like? So it always meant challenging assumptions, making sure I was building up for my safety, security, practical. And it always meant I was thinking about how do I make it easier for others to come after me? At
0: this point, you were 2% women in, in that office I, I read.
1: And I think hardly anybody in management, when mm. I was, con- every, you know, promotion I got, they said I was the first woman to get that far, junior manager, assistant manager, senior manager, da, 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 da. I was always the first woman to make it to that level. And it was always a big deal. I say I didn't break glass ceilings, I broke glass
0: basement. <laughs> well, well, in, in that world of basements and ceilings and and, and breaking and smashing through them, I mean, uh, were there any doubts? I mean, you mentioned earlier about, about you know, your, your dad saying, what's what's a sort of engineer, engineer doing HR for what you know being one of so very few women yeah. in, in in the workplace I mean did that did that lead you ever to doubt what you were doing or how successful you could be at it
1: oh for sure Michael you know one of the things uh, I joke about is uh, the fact that there never was a loo when I went to a factory they hadn't been a woman before. They so they would not most likely be a
0: ladies' lose. I've can... heard I've heard Lena's lose are a big thing at Unilever.
1: <laughs> so it's uh, so you know that was how the lose. But I must also say I did spend a fair bit of time in the lose, crying from time to time because it did feel challenging. The world is divided into people who support you. I have a third, a third, a third in my mind, a third of people who support you from day one, who help you, who navigate things for you, who become mentors for you, a third are on the fence, they don't really care about it. And a third are people who definitely discourage you or tell you, you're not great or underestimate you or undermine you. Mm -hmm. So yes, I've spent quite a bit, I have had moments of self doubt, I continue to have moments of self doubt, when I'm the first at many things. But I can tell you the one thing that gives me going is I always ask myself when I go through a tough experience saying, how do I make it easier for those who come after me? Mm -hmm. And it's simple things. When I stayed in a place called Trichy in one of the hotels there, I was scared because there was no bolt in the door, on the door. And as a single woman living in a hotel at night, which wasn't common 30 years ago in a small town in India, you did get knocks in the door that was scary so one of the, the simplest things so I went back to the then HR admin and say hey can we check out all the hotels and make sure the bolts in the door so women keep feel safe the ones who come after me so in many ways the battle to make it easier for those who came after me for thinking always about this experience shouldn't happen to anyone else, kept me going so, but so, do I cry but, in those that I was alone in yes I do so
0: <laughs> in terms of I mean I suppose when we're looking at the ledger, that's one side of it. But a lot of people will say, and, and certainly the people I've been speaking to in preparation for this interview will say, Lena, phenomenal energy, a real trailblazer, somebody that just wants to get stuff done, things done. I mean, is it that sense that you are preparing that pathway? I mean, you, you yeah. you've mentioned that a couple of times. I mean, is that is that the source of the fire? Is that what is that what ignites you? That sense of I'm actually preparing a pathway that others will be able to travel more easily upon.
1: It does. It's a big part of my motivation. Also the fact that business can be a force for good, that when we do good things in business and people get opportunities to do good things in business, business does good things in society and it then creates that virtual cycle Of people, business, the world going in tandem. Mm. That makes me. I also feel a huge sense of responsibility because I've got opportunities more than I could ever imagine. Growing up and you know cycling 12 miles to get to my college and back, I couldn't not have imagined ever had the opportunity to do what I'm doing today. So there's always a huge sense of privilege, burden, responsibility. All of that. That's alive. That keeps me going. Keeps the fuel going.
0: I mean, you've used that word burden and privilege. Oh, that phrase burden and privilege before. And 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 I suppose when you look at that that balance in terms of what that means to you personally, yeah. what's the burden and what's the privilege? Do you think?
1: The privileges you get to do the things, you get to have the influence. You know, we have more than 700 progressive policies in Unilever today so on, you know, generous maternity leave in every country we operate and generous paternity leave. Policies of every kind you can imagine, from helping women to transport uh, the milk they've expressed for young children back to their homes if they're traveling. You think about it, if we have a policy for it. Mm. And I do believe my personal experiences, my understanding of what it means to be on the fringe, my understanding of what it takes to earn your respect, find your place at the table, my my feeling of how you are under enhanced visibility all the time has helped me shape those. And I've been a big voice in helping those progressive policies come to life. Mm. So that's the privilege. You get to influence and shape it for others through doing it for Unilever. Other people in industry see us as role models. So they follow us and you build a virtuous cycle of growth, development, and then change in the world. That's a privilege. But the burden is your shadow is long. Everything you do is talked about. Your failures are known to everybody your successes are amplified your failures are amplified i'll give a simple story and everything you do you've got to think about oh my god what's the impact what did i just do and i'll give you a simple story i had a baby i worked till the last day of having my baby i went into a hospital i had my baby 6 hours later i was on emails and my boss was and i was sitting in hospital and going on emails and my boss was telling everybody look at this woman she's so driven she's just had a baby look at her she's incredible she's back at work amazing and there was a, you know, a younger woman in the business, uh, you know, a few years younger to me who called me up in hospital and she said, what you're doing is so bad. I said, what, what did I do? She said, you've set an impossible bar for all of us, because this is what everyone's going to expect. Women in Hindustan leave are going to have babies and within six hours, get onto emails.
0: Mm.
1: What's the point of all these generous maternity leaves you've created and all of that? If at the end of the day, this expectation has been set by you. And it was like, oh, my God, this is a wake-up moment. This is not right. And I went on to, of course, take my whole maternity leave, switched off email completely, had a blast with my baby. Thank God for that. But it's that what I mean by burden? You have to think of everything you do and think of the shadow it casts. Well,
0: well, and I was just thinking as you spoke, is I suppose in, in many respects, your, your career, um, in terms of the decades that it covers, also I guess spans a consciousness about what it means to be a woman in business because you know it wasn't so many years ago that there was a French um a French minister who did exactly the same thing as she did you know she was within hours she was she was back at her desk and um and 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 of course you know that was seen as 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 the kind of well that's a good thing then but now I think a lot of people would 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 quite rightly say well that's not that's not the balance, that's not what it's about. When you think about your own chapters of consciousness in terms of where you see how you've changed, yes. con- contrasting then and now, what's the lesson you'd learn for others that are grappling with the same with the same issues?
1: Yeah, you know, there was a phase of my career, maybe the first five to 10 years, where I was so determined to, um, you know, conform. I wanted to be, you know, hide a bit of my femininity, hide a bit of my vulnerability, hide a bit of the things that made me uniquely feminine and push to make sure I was being as tough as everyone else in the room. I was being as decisive as everyone else in the room. So there was a bit of me that wanted to conform, that wanted to meet the norms and break through. I mean, when I went to the factory, I dressed up like in, uh, you know, you couldn't, See, I was a woman from a distance because I had my helmet on, my hair all hidden up, you know, really the safety trousers and big boots and, you know, so I tried to fit in and bring. I think then I, the next 10 years where I was more confident about my achievements and I was more confident that I was having impact, et cetera, I settled more into being who I truly was. And I was braver and bolder to put family photos on the wall, talk about my children more openly, talk about my life more openly. And I must say in this phase of my career, I'm a huge fan of what we do at Unilever in terms of the the inner game of leadership, the inner game being of sense of purpose and service, learning agility, personal mastery and vulnerability. So, you know, I'm much more open about who I am. I'm much more, I mean, we started this conversation with, with me telling you what a difficult year I had. Mm. So I just found in this phase of my career, the freedom, the openness
0: to be who I truly am. And to be yourself. And I suppose it also corresponds with the fact that, that you know, that the, the role of people in business is ever more important. The role Um, of chros the chief human resource officers is is changing i I noticed in a um in a tweet um earlier this month you you told hr leaders to to walk with swagger um tell us a little bit about about that piece of advice to to the profession
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's uh, you know many times when i'm out there talking to hrc hr as a profession as a world in the last 20-30 years I've told you the story when I did HR everyone was always asking me why would an electronics engineer electronics and telecom and telecom was all in do personnel employee relations it wasn't even called HR from my father to my teachers everybody asked me the same question why it was almost like you're wasting this fabulous degree you have called engineering to do something that's mm-hmm. not so
0: important.
1: in the last 30 years the conversations have changed talent has come center stage, leadership has come center stage, culture is something everybody wants to discuss. Capability building, future of work, all these topics have become central to the top team, and they've become central to the board. But what I notice is when I go to conference and speak to HR people the questions they ask me are still like, are we important? Are we relevant? You know, how do I make a point at the top table? The leaders don't listen to me, what do I do? So I've been trying to talk to HR leaders everywhere, saying, the moment has come. The last 18 months of COVID, there's no company that's not relied on its HR function. It's the most exhausted function of the company, I can tell you, Mm -hmm. but everyone's relied on HR to do health and well-being, to look after safety, to redefine norms of what it means to work inside or outside of office. This is the time when the moment and platform has come. And this is not the time to shy away and say, what's my role? What do I do? Am I redundant? Am I relevant? This is the moment to, you know, blossom for us, to Mm. step up from the shadows and say, I'm going to claim the space. That's why I've been talking to HR people saying, come on, walk with a bit of swagger, have the confidence, you have the skills and capability and the time has arrived.
0: Well, and the time has arrived. And and I suppose the question about what's next. I mean, you you mentioned that the the future of work. I mean, this is this is the hot topic in in business life in terms of where it goes. Um, You know, I've got guests that are technologists that say, well, actually, that future is going to be one where large businesses Aren't going to be large in the way they were. They'll be more disparate. They'll be less office-based. Uh, lots more working from home. I mean, h- how do you see it from sitting at the heart of one of one of the world's true global giants in, in, yes. in, in Unilever's perspective?
1: You know, we—I uh, absolutely believe in hybrid. Yeah. I firstly, I believe this is not the time to take a hard position or a hard line. You know, we're all going to be in office all the time and that's the world, or we're not going to ever, ever, ever come into office and that's the world. This is the time to say with all humility, nobody knows the answers, but we're going to figure out what's the right thing for us, for our business, for our people, for our culture and what we want to build. So that's rule number one. Don't take hard positions. Try and evolve and show the learning agility. The second thing I believe in is this is the time to reinvent ourselves. What a wasted opportunity if all businesses went back to doing things exactly the same way we did two years ago. What a wasted opportunity. This is the moment to reimagine, reinvent, challenge the traditional models of employment, pioneer, like we are doing in Unilever, a four-day working week in New Zealand, a new way of working in UK. We're trying so many experiments. This is the time to pioneer, experiment, challenge old models of thinking, challenge old assumptions, Experiment. Mm. The third thing I know is this is a time to help people thrive. People are more important than ever. Human connections have become more important than ever. People's well being, physical, mental, emotional well being, is at the center of everything we're designing for. So don't miss the opportunity to really allow people to thrive in the best way they can. So, listening to their voice, listening to what they want, and evolving with their needs and desires is so important. And last but not least, leadership it has shown us that we need a new kind of leadership a leadership that's humble that's curious that is willing to learn from what we're doing a leadership that doesn't believe in one size fits all a leadership that's willing to be vulnerable and authentic and share their challenges and be connected with people is so important
0: do you you think that the the pandemic has fundamentally changed the leadership narrative as it pertains to people? Or do do you think it it doesn't change it or it's accelerated things? What what is the effect of what we're living through having on on the body corporate? It has accelerated the future, we all believed.
1: People knew that, uh, you know, leaders knew that people are going to desire more and more flexibility, but pandemic has brought it alive for us. We all said digitization is coming, we didn't imagine in 18 months we'd live, get entertained, shop, do everything online. We never imagined that. So I do think the pandemic has accelerated the thinking. Your business is a force for good. I mean, climate change has come on the agenda like never before. Social inequality is going to come on the agenda like never before. Mm. So I do think it's accelerated. We all knew well-being was going to be a challenge, the era of exhaustion, burnout, et cetera, but it's brought it center stage. Yeah? I was looking at data which said that 80 percent in a survey recently done in the US, 80 percent of those who said they were feeling exhausted were people between the ages of 20 and 35. So it's not, you know, we can't walk away from this. So the focus on human beings, the focus on their safety, well-being, the focus on their mental well-being is truly center stage now.
0: Mm. I mean, on, on that issue of well-being, I mean, we see lots of moves by lots of companies. I mean, we're interviewing on a a week where uh, Nike have just um, said they're closing down for a week, give their teams a chance to, to recharge. I mean, do, do yes. you feel that this speaks to broader issues um, in terms of um, you know not just well-being but possibly mental health challenges, issues about happiness and, and work? I mean, what, what are the steps you'd, you'd advise those that are listening, thinking we really need to do something here? And, and what, what what does best practice suggest? I guess.
1: You know, last year we did a day of thank you. So it was a day off to re- for everybody to recharge. We call it the day of thank you because we said gratitude, a feeling of gratitude is a foundation of good mental well-being. Yeah. So my, uh, I would definitely urge companies to take mental well-being and physical well-being very, very seriously in the next phase of the pandemic, which means encouraging more practices of gratitude. One of the things we do is we asked for peer volunteers for those who would be mental health champions so that they could be peers available to everyone else and we got an overwhelming response of people who wanted to train up to be mental mental health first aiders and mental health champion. I was amazed and so many of our young people put up their hands saying they want to do this because they all had a story of a friend, a boyfriend, a cousin or somebody who's just been through an enormously challenging situation mm-hmm. so i would say t- getting peers to take ownership for for themselves and for each other is a good idea i would say getting leaders to stand up and be more authentic and vulnerable about what they're going through i mean i've had a tough year this year losing my mother to covid mm-hmm. and you know seeing my father's dementia worsen with the loss of my mom and being open about these and as leaders talking about things we are grappling with is so important. Hmm. Big power on being able to speak about well-being in the workplace. So I do think that through this pandemic, Being open about our physical, mental, emotional well-being challenge is so important. And dialing up purpose is so important. I mean, 60,000 people in Yundi have been through purpose workshops because we believe purpose is so important. This is the time when you're anchored in your purpose. It gives you greater strength and energy to go through tumultuous times.
0: And do you believe that that compassion, and I suppose that more purposeful compassion, can lead to higher performance as well in terms of, I mean, do businesses have to basically take the view that there's a something they've got to give or do they also get things from this in terms of the way that their cultures develop?
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you look at some of the data that's coming through even from Unilever, the people who feel more purposeful about the jobs they're doing in Unilever are more highly motivated, perform better, are likely to stick with Unilever better. All of that feedback tells us that when you're anchored in your purpose, you deliver better, you perform better, you do things better. Yeah, So there's more and more evidence to suggest that when leaders lead with compassion and empathy, people are more engaged, motivated to perform and deliver better, they have greater discretionary effort. I believe a caring business and a winning business go hand in hand. Caring Mm. leaders generate better and higher performance, so caring and winning go Mm -hmm. hand in hand
0: and of course you know your your career also mirrors the great changes in in unilever um and where the issue of profit and purpose um were seen as almost like the outliers view um early on in terms of the paul Pullman um sort of era i guess in terms of being seen as well this is the sort of stuff that maybe small business can do but can very large corporations do it now, under Alan Jope, you've, you've got many other businesses that are saying very similar things. I mean, this idea of business as a force for good. I mean, you mentioned climate change as um, one of the big sort of like the big challenges that business has got to lend itself to fix. I mean, do, do you feel that, that enough businesses are now getting it, that are getting the power of purpose? I mean, and are enough of them there to affect that change that we need?
1: I What I do think is the conversation about purpose has become more center stage. No question about it. Leaders are beginning to talk about it. But a true authentic understanding of how to take it deep into organizations, there's much more work to be done. Yeah. I do think there's treating purpose as loads of posters on the wall, nice big statements, lofty statements that sort of sound nice. That's not the book. Bu- that's not the point of it. Taking it deep in an organization where you authentically live it, you give everybody an opportunity to grapple with it and work with it. We're still many steps away from getting there. Mm. So I would be optimistic and say I think the f- first big steps are being taken, but we have a long way to go before we say all businesses are driving in the right direction and we are driving greater change in the world.
0: And I, and I suppose that also speaks to our changing expectations about what kind of future it is that we want, Um, you know, the World Economic Forum talk about the great reset. Um, um, I I think the sense that we don't want to go back to things. When we look at what it is that we're playing for, um, how do we, I suppose my my last question to you, Lena, is how, how do we turn the igniting the spark into the full on flame? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great thought i think the uh, it, 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 uh, as leaders we have to use this moment to reimagine so for example let's stop saying return to the workplace but say moving forward to a new way of living working instead of continuously return back return you know all so our language has to be about moving forward moving to better moving to different build back better whatever you know we've got to have a moving forward language I think as leaders, we've got to challenge ourselves how we reimagine things and give people more space to talk about what gets them going. At the end of the day, a new form of leadership means enabling people to light the flame, not telling them what to do, but giving them the space, the empowerment for them to light the flame and take businesses forward. And by taking businesses forward, create create greater change in the world.
0: Lynette, thank you so much for joining me for Changemakers. I, I would like to tell you that in your career of first, I will add to that a first-class interview. Thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. Thank
1: you so much, Michael. That was so much fun.
0: Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm, Seven Hills, and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack, and it's written and performed by the brilliant B.T. Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works. And if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?